Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Out of the Past from 1947. The studio was RKO Pictures. The release date was November 25th, 1947. The running time, 97 minutes, and it was in black and white. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it 3.5 out of 4 stars. He writes, Robert Mitchum finds he can't escape his former life when one-time employer Kirk Douglas and lover Jane Greer entangle him in a web of murder and double dealings. Classic example of 1940s film noir with dialogue being a particular standout. It was remade in 1984 as Against All Odds. Now, I discovered Out of the Past from a film noir box set I purchased in the early 2000s, and I immediately loved it. And as Malton confirmed, many film historians consider this one of the top film noirs ever made. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So it was based on a novel released a year prior called Build My Gallows High. That novel was written by Daniel Manwaring. He also adapted the novel to the screenplay. Now, I've already covered a few Robert Mitchum films as past episodes and talked about his career. Those episodes were Holiday Affair from 1949, which was completely different from Out of the Past, and The Racket from 1951, which is closer in tone to this film. Out of the Past gave Mitchum critical acclaim, though he would be busted infamously a year later on trumped-up marijuana charges. The model of the femme fatale character that Jane Greer portrayed in this film and her future noir roles really influenced a whole generation of actresses decades later, like Sharon Stone and Faye Dunaway. Greer was 22 at the time of the filming of Out of the Past and was the girlfriend of media mogul and owner of RKO Studios' Howard Hughes. Even though she was romantically attached to Hughes, that didn't stop her from suing Hughes to get out of her contract, which she felt was unfair. She actually won the suit, and Hughes continued to keep her on the RKO roster, which says a lot for her acting talents. She does appear in the 1984 remake, which was against all odds, as I mentioned. That starred Jeff Bridges, Rachel Ward, and James Woods. Director Jock Turner was best known for his work with producer Val Luton, and they worked on films like Cat People and I Walked with a Zombie. And those ominous dark films led to Out of the Past being a bit different than a lot of the other film noirs at the time. The biggest name star in this film now would be considered Kirk Douglas, but at the time he was just starting in his career, so it was only his third film. The other two films he was in before this was The Strange Love of Martha Ivers, which was with Barbara Stanwyck, and Morning Becomes Electra with Rosalind Russell and Michael Redgrave. Okay, let's get into the film. So it opens with a mysterious man pulling into a gas station in Bridgeport, California. Now this is on the Northern California border near Lake Tahoe and Nevada. The gas station is owned by Jeff Bailey, that's Robert Mitchum. And the mystery man is looking for Jeff. Jeff is fishing at a quiet lake with a woman named Ann Miller, played by Virginia Houston. Jeff is tipped off by a young deaf man who works at Jeff's station that a man is looking for Jeff. They're just not feeding today. They were later. It's clouding up. They say the day you die, your name is written on a cloud. Who says? They? Never heard of them. Nothing in that one but rain. Think we ought to go home? 
Yes. Do you want to? No. Every time I look at the sky, I think of all the places I've never been. Yes, and every time you look up, they're all the same. You've been a lot of places, haven't you? One too many. Which did you like the best? This one right here. Bet you said that to all the places. You see that cove over there? Well, I'd like to build a house right there. Marry you, live in it, and never go anywhere else. I wish you would. You were never married before, were you? Not that I can remember. That's good. You'd be amazed the way people talk about you. The mysterious Jeff Bailey. My mother tells me that I've only known you for such a short time, and where did you come from, and what did you do? My father was... We'd better go. Something the matter? Maybe not. Here. You sure are a secret man. Thanks. Oh, a man just wants to see me. nicer to see you. Everyone sure missed you, Jeff. But not as much as I have. How's that? Wit used to look at me, shake his head, and wish I had brains like you. What's the other reason? I had to find you. I owe you something? Not me. Who? How far can that kid read lips? I don't know. I'll ask him sometime. This far? You don't like to make any mistakes, do you, Joe? They don't let me have many. All right, come on inside. Joe Stephanos, played by Paul Valentine, is the man from Jeff's past. Joe works for a gambling racketeer named Wit Sterling, played by Kirk Douglas. And he passes along the message to Jeff that Wit wants to see Jeff again. Seems that Jeff has been out of sight for a while and went by another last name before changing it to Bailey. Before going to Lake Tahoe to meet Wit at his home, Jeff picks up Anne to take her along with him on the trip. It's on this car ride that Jeff decides to tell Anne about his life prior to meeting her. His last name is actually Markham, not Bailey. Three years prior, he used to live in New York and worked for a shady character named Jack Fisher, who was played by Steve Brody, and he was a private detective. This is where a good chunk of the film is told in flashbacks as Jeff tells his story to Anne in the car. For one particular job, Jeff and Jack are hired by Wit and his employee Joe, the guy we already met. And we are introduced to both of them from the past. Wise guys, who do they think they're kidding? So he shot himself cleaning a cap pistol. So I shot the ace of spades out of his sleeve during a gin game. A guy can't even get shot in his own apartment by a dame without the whole town starting to buzz like a... Like a... Like you? Smoke a cigarette, Joe. You just sit and stay inside yourself. You wait for me to talk. I like that. 
I never found out much listening to myself. <clears throat> it amazes me how she missed so often. Maybe you were moving. You know, a dame with a rod is like a guy with a knitting needle. What's he doing here? I called you. My partner. Should I ask why you didn't call the law? Should you? Well, I guess not. Anything happened to her? She ran out on me. With 40,000 bucks. I want her back. All the money? <laughs> you know, I once spent $40,000 on a horse that ran dead last, so I bought the horse... Yeah, that's and... what I mean. Oh, you're wrong. I put that horse in a nice green pasture so he'd never get his foot caught in a mutual machine. You should go out and visit it sometime. No, I just want her back. When you see her, you'll understand better. Maybe she's just an impulsive girl. Shall we let it go at that? I can let it all go. Even 5,000 now and five when you bring her back? And expenses. Now, that should have been the first thing you said. Find her, Jeff. Bring her back. Why me? Well, I know a lot of smart guys and a few honest ones. And you're both. What happens to her? I won't touch her. Okay. Give me the stuff on her. Family, pictures, anything interesting. You'll get it. I'll see you. You bring it over, Joe. Come on, let's go. Oh, by the way, you mind telling me your name? Kathy Moffat. Thanks. She must be quite a dame. A wild goose with 40 Gs. You know, for a smart guy, that Sterling sure trusts you, don't he? Why not? Am I going along? Nope. Oh, he doesn't like my personality, huh? Well, I'm still in, Jeff. 50-50. Did I say anything different? All right, all right. It's a good soft touch. Don't get hot at me. And don't get any cute ideas. It's interesting how Mitchum plays this character very way back and cool, almost lethargic. Whereas Kirk Douglas, he's full of energy and spirit, which I guess makes sense since both actors seem to do the same throughout their career. Jeff is hired to find Witt's girlfriend, Kathy. That's Jane Greer. Supposedly, she stole some cash, $40,000, and also shot him. Jeff gets a tip from a woman who used to work for Kathy, who noticed that before Kathy took off, she was buying clothes that were suited for warm weather, along with getting some vaccination shots. You don't get vaccinated for Florida, but you do for Mexico. So I just followed that 90 pounds of excess baggage to Mexico City. She had been at the reformer and then gone. I took the bus south like she did. It was hot in Tosco. You say to yourself, how hot can it get? And then in Acapulco, you find out. I knew she had to wind up here because if you want to go south, here's where you get the boat. All I had to do was wait. Near the plaza was a little cafe called La Marasul, next to a movie house. I sat there in the afternoons and drank beer. I used to sit there half asleep with the beer and the darkness. Only that music from the movie next door kept jarring me awake. And then I saw her, coming out of the sun. And I knew why Witt didn't care about that 40 grand. Do you believe it, please? Si, senorita.
Señorita, señor, may I speak some words? You will be seated, señor, eh? Yes? With pleasure, señor. I am José Rodríguez, a guide, a most excellent guide. Indeed. You ask them. They can tell you that José Rodríguez knows Acapulco as no one else. Each little street, each... I don't want a guide. Very difficult girl. <laughs> Is there one not so, señor? Perhaps a lottery ticket. No. I have here, wrote by steel hands, a ring. And earrings of jade and pure silver. Please. Gracias, señor. Gracias. I never wear them. All right. Please. Oh, thank you. My name is Jeff Markham, and I haven't talked to anybody who hasn't tried to sell me something for 10 days. If I don't talk, I think. It's too late in life for me to start thinking. I could go down to the cliff and look at the sea like a good tourist. But it's no good if there isn't somebody you can turn to and say, nice view, huh? It's the same with the churches, the relics, the moonlight, or a Cuba Libra. Nothing in the world is any good unless you can share it. Maybe you want to go home. Maybe that's why I'm here. Is it? Well, there's always Jose Rodriguez. If it gets too lonely, there's a little cantina down the street called Pablo's. It's nice and quiet. Man there plays American music for a dollar. Sit bourbon and shut your eyes. It's like a little place on 56th Street. I wear my earrings. I sometimes go there. The build-up to where we finally meet Kathy in this film is terrific, which is another trait of film noir when it's done well. Jeff, the next night, went to the cantina Kathy mentioned, but she never showed up, which Jeff assumed would happen. However, he figured she'd show up the next night, which she did, but late. The two didn't stay long at the cantina, and instead Kathy takes him to a gambling house. Eventually, they end up walking the beach and eventually kissing. When are you taking me back? Is that why you kissed me? No. What didn't I? He didn't? No. Then why? He just wants you back. I hate him. I'm sorry he didn't die. Give him time. You are taking me back. There's no hurry. I could have run away last night. I'd find you. Yes, I believe you would. You're glad you did? I don't know. I am. There was a little business, about $40,000. I didn't take it. How did you know it was taken? It's what you meant. I don't want anything of his or any part of him. Except his life. I didn't know what I was doing. I, I didn't know anything except how much I hated. But I didn't take anything. I didn't, Jim. Don't you believe me? Baby, I don't care. Yes, they continue to kiss at the end of that last scene. Now, it's obvious that Jeff has mixed emotions about Kathy and what he was hired to do. 
$10,000 is a lot of money to pass up back then. And what if Kathy isn't as innocent as she claims? Jeff doesn't even attempt to look for her during the day. He only waits for night for her to come out in order to see her. Early on, we can see whether he realizes it or not, Kathy is running the show. Now, Jane Greer's first scene in the movie with Robert Mitchum was the famous kissing scene on the beach. When she recalled the shooting of that scene, she said, I'm looking at Bob and I see he has something on his mouth and it looked funny. Finally, I got the courage enough to say, excuse me, Bob, but they've done something with your makeup. I think they messed it up. Your lips, that brown lip liner or whatever it is, it's smeared. And Mitchum said, what are you talking about? And he yelled for the makeup man. And they, they bring him the mirror. And he takes a look at, into the mirror. And he says, oh, honey, that's just chewing tobacco. <laughs> so Bob wiped his mouth with the back of his hand and resumed the kissing position. And Greer thought, well, this movie's going to be different. So back to the film. With regards to Wit, Jeff plays it cool, giving him updates through wire telegrams, but not divulging that he found Kathy. So one stormy night while walking the beach, Jeff sees Kathy suddenly appear. And she invites him to her place for the first time after various public meetings. At her place, Jeff asks Kathy to just leave with him, not to be brought back to wit, but so they can run off and be together. Kathy agrees to meet him the next day, and so the next day, Jeff gets a surprise. guy in the world. I hate surprises myself. You want to just shut the door and forget it? No, no, come on in. I like surprises. When I was a kid, we were so busted that if we got anything at all for Christmas, it was a big surprise. Sit down, have a chair. Thanks. You been here long? Oh, how long, Joe? Hardly at all. I just wondered who might be following whom. What makes you think that? Look, I know how you trust people. About as far as you can throw Stefano's here. And that's all right with me, only let's not get so cute about it. I'm on my way to Mexico City. See a man about a horse. On the level. A racehorse from South America. Checking out? Sure, why waste your own money? Did you find it? No, only a trail. Not quite as hot as a prairie fire, but there. Sometimes a little too obvious. She's a clever little girl. Is she? Wouldn't you say so? You should have told me, Whit. Maybe I would have played it differently. Maybe she wouldn't have heard my shoes squeaking. Always a hop, skip, and a jump ahead of me. Mexico City to Tosco to here. Here, Jeff. You see her? No. I wish I had. I don't like playing games when I'm the fall guy. You might remember that, Whit. Thank you. Gracias. Nice shoes. Sporty for you, aren't they? Yeah, I got them down here. As I said before, I thought maybe the others squeaked. Well, let's go down the bar. You can cool off while we try to impress each other. Fine. 
Nice place. Like to stay here a while myself. It is by proxy. Something tall and cool. I don't care what. Two. Make it three. Perfect, sir. So you blew it. Anybody can have bad luck. And squeaky shoes. Think of a number, Joe. Where were you off to? Telegraph office to YRU. I told you, I don't like to spend your money. I can stand it. Well, it's your business. Wait, my friend, there's a million dames in this world, and they all look like her. No, they don't. So she was here. And according to all available evidence, she was. Maybe I should have sent Stefano's. Could you find one dame in a million, Joe? The one with 40 grand. <laughs> Sorry. You've picked up some nerves. I don't need a crack like that any more than I need your dough, which is what I've been telling you. I missed her. The dame caught a boat south. Where? Look, I got along before this job. I ate good and I grew as big as you did, and if there's something you don't like, you can say so. I just asked where. Chile, Guatemala. You want to go down and see the guy in the steamship company? You want to go down and talk to him right now? Why not? Witt doesn't call Jeff's bluff, nor does he agree to Jeff's offer to return the $5,000 retainer and give up his search for Kathy. According to Witt, he fires people, but nobody quits him. Jeff is stuck having to figure out a way to keep Witt in the dark and then also run off with Kathy. So Jeff and Kathy end up in San Francisco together, seemingly happy, even though they were on the run. The pair get a little bit too comfortable after months of not being detected. Jeff's old partner, Jack, noticed him at the racetrack. Jack only saw Jeff, but not Kathy. So Jeff headed to Los Angeles to make sure Kathy wasn't followed or detected. Finally, after weeks of putting Jack on a wild goose chase, Jeff arranged a meeting at the cabin in the woods. You want a lift, babe? Well, I really had an art. You're a cute little package to be out walking alone at night. You're kind of cute yourself to be walking alone any night. That does it. It was meeting her somewhere, like in the first times. There was still that something about her that got me. A kind of magic or whatever it was. Well, I held her and we could laugh. Because we were together again. We'd played it smart and forgotten nothing. Forgotten nothing except one thing. He had followed her. Hello, Jeff. Don't I get introduced? I don't blame you, Jeff. Maybe I'd lied my head off just like you did. Your picture don't do you justice, baby. Why don't you break his head, Jeff? Cute. Which should have got her back. From what I understand, they deserve each other. You working for him now? Who else would he get to find my partner? All right, Fisher, what's the pitch? You and I had a little deal, Jeff. Ten grand in expenses. Fifty-fifty. Remember? 
You used to have a good memory. Whatever happened to it? I didn't collect. Not the ten grand. If I can give you a tip. You tell Whit where we are. He might slip you a saw book. Jeff. He isn't going to tell Whit anything. Sure not. You just come up with that forty grand and we're all pals again. I might even cut you in for a piece of it. There isn't any forty grand. Of course Whit's broad-minded. He don't care about a few slugs in the stomach or the forty grand the dame went off with. Or even Jeff pretending he fell down on the job. But you and Jeff ganging up together. He might not like that. Tell him, Kathy. Sure, I shot him. I'm not sorry about that. But I didn't take his money. Beat it. Look at all the angles. You know Whit, and you know how far he can reach. So just pay me off, and I'm quiet. But use cash. Don't try to pay me off with pitch handed to you, but that's cheap piece of baggage. I was hoping you'd do this. and thrown him out. You didn't have to do it. You wouldn't have killed him. He'd have been against us. Gone to wit. getting the upper hand in the fight, Kathy shot and killed Jack. When Kathy leaves with Jeff's car, he notices that she left her bank book. Jeff opens it and finds that she had deposited exactly $40,000 into her account. Looks like our femme fatale did everything Wit claimed she did. We then cut to the present day and back in the car as Jeff drives Anne to Lake Tahoe. Jeff tells her that he never saw Kathy again after that night she killed Jack. Jeff buried Jack's body up in the woods. Now, Anne is very understanding about Jeff's past, and she sticks with him. They arrive at Witt's large house in Tahoe. Jeff goes inside while Anne drives back home. Look who's here. Hello, Mark. I'm glad to see you again. You know, I always wondered if you missed me. Ah, same guy. Time-proof, weatherproof. Cigarette? Smoking. Thanks. Had breakfast? No. Nope. Joe, tell the boy we have a guest. Say, I understand you're operating a little gasoline station. You say it like it was hard to understand. Well, it is. It's very simple. I sell gasoline, I make a small profit. With that, I buy groceries, the grocer makes a profit. We call it earning a living. You may have heard of it somewhere. I may have, but it wasn't from you. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, Wynn. My feelings? About ten years ago, I hid them somewhere and haven't been able to find them. Where did you look? In my pocketbook. 
nice, isn't it? Yeah, it must have set you back a few shells. Always worrying about my expenses. It's a nice view. Am I here to admire it? Not exactly. I need your help. Like old times. I always liked you. You liked me because you could use me. You could use me because I was smart. I'm not smart anymore. I run a gas station. I like the view. Can you still listen? I can hear. Well, you told me about your business. Well, mine is a little more precarious, and I earn considerably more. So I've heard. So has the government. Well, this may sound ridiculous, but you could pay them. Oh, that would be against my nature. All right, forget I said it. So I collaborated with a certain man who understands these things. He, he saved me quite a bit of money, a million dollars. I didn't particularly trust him, so I paid him well, but he's unhappy. He wants more money. Well, he saved you a lot. Oh, I appreciate it. I always remember what any man did for me. Or didn't. Perhaps. The point is that now he wants 200,000. Well, he could get 10% of the million from the government if he turns you in. Oh, you're up on these things. Has he got anything to trade? Well, he has the income tax records, but I don't see why I should buy them when I might persuade you to get them for me. Then I'd have them. I know, but I can trust you. You know, I don't think you can trust anybody. You better go in there and get them yourself. I'd rather you did it. I pass. You don't like it? No, I just can't get away from my business. Well, it's a nice view. Let's have some breakfast. You remember Kathy, don't you? Yeah, I remember Kathy. Sit down. Kathy's back in the fold now. You're back in the fold too, Jeff. I see what you mean. You see, Jeff, you owe me something. You'll never be happy until you square yourself. Did you bear your heart to him, Kathy? I couldn't help it, Jeff. Well, that settles things. Does it? You're working for me. This man I was telling you about, his name is Leonard Eels, but uh, you won't go to him directly. He has a secretary that he's rather fond of. Her name is Mita Carson. You'll find her charming. She may even find you charming. I understand that women have. She'll tell you how it's lined up. You uh, know San Francisco, don't you? Yeah, I was there once in a party. Then you got around. Like the monkey and the weasel. We'll put you on a train this afternoon. Right now, I'd like to get some sleep. Find Joe. He'll show you to your room. And don't start worrying. Why should I? Well, Jeff didn't expect to see Kathy at the house, or frankly, ever again. Jeff starts to write a note for Ann that he's going to San Francisco, and then he gets interrupted by Kathy. Jeff, I had to come back. What else could I do? You can never help anything, can you? You're like a leaf that the wind blows from one gutter to another. You can't help anything you do, even murder. You can't say it was that. I can say one thing. I buried him. What did you tell him? Well, I... About us? But you couldn't help it, could you, Ken? He knew it, Jeff. He looked right into me and he knew it. How much? What, Jeff? I mean about Fisher. Did he look into you for that, too? No, I didn't tell that. Don't lie to me. I didn't. I wouldn't tell him that. I, I wouldn't tell anyone that. 
I swear it, Chip. Believe me. Sure. Sure, I believe you. I didn't know what to do. I was always afraid of him and afraid of what I'd done. I couldn't live that way anymore. I couldn't stand it. Oh, Jeff, I've missed you. I've wondered about you and prayed you'd understand. Can you understand? You prayed, Kathy? Can't you even feel sorry for me? I'm not going to try. Jeff. Look, just get out, will you? I have to sleep in this room. Let's just leave it where it all is. Get out. So, the femme fatale continues to act like the victim. So, will Jeff fall for her devious charms all over again? And what about that job in San Francisco that Jeff must do for Wit? And how will Jeff get out of this web that continues to haunt him? Or will he actually get out of it? You're just going to have to watch the final 45 minutes of the film to find out. This is a terrific film noir, as I said before, and Robert Mitchum really is at his finest. And you also get to see Kirk Douglas early on in his career, and Jane Greer does a wonderful job as the femme fatale. Plus, the ending really isn't predictable. Out of the Past has all the traditional elements film noir is known for, whether it be the lighting, the complex story that keeps you guessing, the quick-witted dialogue, the obsession from all the characters, and of course, the femme fatale. One thing to keep in mind about film noir, if you're new to it, it's about why a character does something as opposed to the plot and the eventual outcome of the story is about. Now, this frustrates some people when they watch film noir because they get hung up on the plot points, but it's really a character study in most of these films. All right, some fun facts. So Robert Mitchum actually was not the first choice to play the lead character. Humphrey Bogart and John Garfield and Dick Powell were all offered the role, but they all turned it down. So filming got off to a rocky start with a near-fatal plane accident at the Bridgeport Airport. The pilot, accompanied by Robert Mitchum, along with a studio accountant and an assistant to executive uh, Warren Duff, realized his brakes didn't work when they touched down, and it caused the plane to crash through a fence and over a ditch and through an outhouse before coming to a stop. Although the two men in the back seat were knocked unconscious, Mitchum and the pilot were not actually hurt. Now, typical of Mitchum's nonchalant attitude, he quickly crawled out of the wreckage, dusted off his clothes, and thumbed a ride into town to begin filming. Robert Mitchum told Roger Ebert at one point that he smoked so much when the camera was rolling and Kirk Douglas offered him a pack and asked, Cigarette? Mitchum, realizing he carried a cigarette into the scene, held up his fingers and replied, Smoking. His improv skills saved the take and they actually kept it in the movie. Jane Gurr said that Robert Mitchum actually projected an equally cavalier attitude off camera. She got the impression that he came to the set unprepared in order to give a more spontaneous performance. She later explained, I remember him saying, what are the lyrics to the script person? I never know the lyrics, he'd say. And she would give him the lines. And I said, you don't learn your lines beforehand? And he'd say, nah. And she said, I thought that might be part of why he seemed so much more spontaneous and why it was so easy and underplayed. But I decided not to do that, not to be letter perfect. So I tried learning my lines under the dryer in the morning, and I hope I'd look as though I was thinking. But I blew take after take while he was letter perfect. Well, I figured out later, of course, he knew the lines. 
Jane Greer actually took notice of the differing personalities and styles of her leading men. She found Robert Mitchum to be protective of her on set. In particular, one costume that she wore was a little bit too large. So Mitchum was the one who noticed it that was bulging around the waist. So he stopped everything and borrowed a pin from the wardrobe lady and gathered it in and pinned her up in the back. On the other hand, Greer said Kirk Douglas is more of a physical actor. He bruised my arms by grabbing me, and my face was routinely slapped. And she said how he did champion in 1949 without maiming his partner, well, it's a miracle. So at age 15, Jane Greer was struck with facial palsy and lost all movement on the left side of her face. She gradually recovered, but it has been speculated that this contributed to her patented look, enigmatic expression that would later lead RKO to promote her as the woman with the Mona Lisa smile. So the film made a profit of $90,000. That's $50,000 more than what the character Kathy stole from Wit. All right, we have a special guest, and it's Lindsay, who has never seen this film before, so we get her fresh take on the film, which is always fun. And then I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with Lindsay. Welcome back. Hey, Brian. Hey, everyone. Nice to be back. So I haven't had that many older movies for you, but this was an older film noir. And again, you haven't seen many of these film noir uh, movies, but uh, we I showed you actually one of the most acclaimed one, which is called Out of the Past uh, with Robert Mitchum and Jane Greer and Kirk Douglas. So you said you liked this movie off the bat, though you were kind of um, confused by all the various plot points. I really did like the film, but that seems to be my one chief complaint with some of these older films. There's much I like about them, but I find the plots more confusing than average. And I feel like I'm one of those people that's pretty savvy when it comes to films, so it's almost frustrating at times because I like the films and like I want to get it and sometimes it just gets a little confusing or muddy at times and you say to yourself but I'm a person who gets movies why why am I having to stop and think about what's going on here why am I like confusing characters I I so rarely do that with modern film so that gets a little frustrating although i really enjoyed this movie and thought it seemed ahead of its time so i think part of the thing is i i I think movies today have been dumbed down plot wise on purpose because people aren't going to the movie theaters like they used to way back when the only way you're going to see a movie because there was no television obviously there was no home video you had to sit in the theater and you focused on that you didn't have your cell phone you didn't have all this stuff going on you were focused on the film and so the odds of you, I mean, not saying that the plots weren't confusing, but you could focus there. People also read a lot more. They were probably more adept at reading novels and, and things like that. Whereas today, you're doing a million different things. You're probably walking around, you're cooking dinner while movies playing. And so you can't necessarily have a movie like this today because people's attention spans are zilch. Well, I think you're right about people's attention spans, but yet I still think modern film and television does a good job certain uh examples of modern film and television do a really good job of tying a lot of complexities together that you still have to follow to make sense like a good example is you know i've been binging the the last season of better call saul right i've been obsessed with that since spinoff from breaking bad which was again to me one of the best shows of all time on television and that has a ton of crazy twists and turns and things you have to 
you know, add but, up. And but it's different because it's TV, and if you they'll tie it back. If you miss an episode, you could still kind of get the gist. You can't do that in a movie. Movie, it's a totally different entity. Right, but my point is like even in the most complex situations that are spanning even longer than the amount of time it took this film to run. I feel like I've never had trouble following plots Mm -hmm. and remembering really small things and their significance later, Mm -hmm. which there's much greater span of time that that's running over that you'd have to remember. Plus there's season gaps between yet this is much shorter and much tighter. And I still find moments where I'm like, what the hell? And I just have, unless it's been an older film, I haven't, had that happen so it's just the one frustrating element i've been finding about watching some of these older films i enjoy them they're actually among the better rated ones right that Mm -hmm. i've had uh since chatting with you about podcast interviews for movies but i still get a little bit frustrated by it i think i i think the key is one you're what you're usually watching these at night so we're tired um but i it's just a, it's a different mentality. A lot of these films are a lot more verbal. They're they're more talky than I think today's films as well. Um, so there's a lot of dialogue going on, and so that you can you can miss things. But that's okay. I mean, I, again, you said, "Oh, I need I should rewatch this." Well, that's good. I think the movies that bear repeat viewing are probably a good thing. And I like the film. I actually think this film was really well done. It's a it's a complicated dark plot. Um, again, the femme fatale is a super tricky character that you never can really trust. You're not exactly sure whether or not the loyalty, I guess, is where you think it's going to be or is supposed to be. And she's obviously quite dangerous and doesn't seem to have any remorse or guilt or anything for the way that she's behaving, no matter what she's doing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, like, that's very interesting and probably... I don't want to say controversial for that time, but the film seems a little bit ahead of its day in the way that it's sort of told with some flashbacks. And I, I, I really liked the movie. Like I, I actually would like to watch this one again, because I feel like I did miss things and it hurts a little bit that some of these characters have similar names like Joe and Jim. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to keep track and Jeff. And it's hard to keep track of like, (laughs) Which one is which, or even some of the female characters. Not like there were many. There were probably like three female. But they looked alike. But they looked alike, exactly. So it's almost like I thought someone who was the assistant of a person was actually the femme fatale, but it wasn't. There was like another woman in there. So in my head, I'm confusing them because I'm like, wait a second. What's she doing at the table? And again, it's one of those things that's... I generally feel like I'm good at figuring that stuff out, but when it comes to these, like, 1930s and 40s films, it's almost like a, a strange frustration to me because I, I don't like feeling that kind of confused because I'm paying attention. Well, I, I think a word of advice, and this is good, is if you're going to watch an older film, don't be doing other things. Like, watch the film and, and try to be aware. I'm not I'm just but tell, I wasn't I'm, doing I'm not talking things. about you. I'm talking about <laughs> in, in general uh, to the audience. Like, go in there knowing that you don't have other things going on. No, I mean, that's a great piece of advice. It's just it didn't help me today because I wasn't doing that. (laughs) But now you know going in. I I would say we both agreed. The dialogue in this film is terrific. Yeah, I mean, I really... The the Robert Mitchum character, um, Jeff 
Bailey or Jeff Barkham. Yeah. <laughs> He's both guys, right? Yeah. Um, he was really great. And I love the the dialogue, the character. It, it does feel like, I keep saying ahead of its time, but I, I do feel like this could have been a modern film mm-hmm. and still would have really worked well. He almost looks like Liam Neeson at times to me. Like, I get that yeah. weird Liam Neeson vibe from, from him, and I love Liam Neeson, so... It's. I could almost see this being a modern film. Again, I'm sure they would have done things you hate if they remade this. Well, they'd make it probably too long. Yeah, um, they'd probably over-sexualize her yeah. as a femme fatale. Instead, really, I mean, she does use her like looks a bit because yeah. obviously she's an attractive woman and that's what's drawing men it'd to her in the first way, place. But more violence, too. Yeah. Right, but it's not... It's not like an overly no. sexually tense film. There's some of it. Yeah. But, yeah, they'd probably, like, way overdo that today. And the violence, you're right. Well, he definitely was a leading man. Like, he commanded your attention, which I think oh, he did. Oh, yeah. And, actually, Kirk Douglas would go on to be a leading man. He was terrific as well. I mean, he was actually played a great heavy. I kind of forgot he wasn't a lead in this. I mean, yeah. No, he had an interesting build. role. And he was kind of the a wealthy villain yeah. in this, too. So, absolutely, he, he played a pretty pivotal role. And you said... I think that this was only his like third film or something. Yeah. So that's pretty remarkable because I mean he certainly went on to become a major Hollywood actor and then he went on to have a, a son, son who was a major Hollywood actor, that's right. probably bigger than him. In some ways, yeah. You know? But they I, sound a lot alike too. But Kirk Douglas was he was huge. I mean Spartacus and he oh, was in plenty. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, that's what's fun watching sometimes before they made it big. Cause you could tell like, well, there's something there, obviously. Um, how did you, uh, we mentioned the, the femme fatale, but how did you feel about Jane Greer who plays the main femme fatale? I thought the actress did a great job. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought she was really good in the role. Um, there were definitely times where she seemed like you believed her, like she would, she would tell you she did a certain thing, but not a certain other thing. Again, because I'm not trying to give away all the plot points here. And you'd almost, you'd want to believe her, but that's how these femme fatales are. Like, they they have to be a little bit believable because people are clearly falling for it, and they're good at it, so that's how that's happening. But I thought she was very convincing. And this wasn't like, sometimes when you see some of these old films, you feel more like the actresses were beautiful women that were you know trying to play parts whereas this really felt like she was truly acting mm-hmm. you know and this is not to be disparaging about women who've been in you know films from decades ago it's just um she really seemed like she had some dark skill mm-hmm. right in in this role so i i hadn't i'm not familiar with jane greer as an actress but I really thought she did a great job as this character. And some of the other actresses who are amazing actresses that we've seen in certain other films probably wouldn't have done this as well as her. Agreed. And actually, she's still kind of best known for this role. So this is kind of like her uh, seminal role in many in many ways. She was great. She really was. I don't know if, a, like I said, I really don't know if... A, another popular actress of this time, and there were many, could have really played this. So I, I think I already mentioned this, but uh, she is in the movie Against All Odds from 1984, oh. which is essentially a remake of Out of the Past. 
So well, everything that I remember about that film, as you know, is about Phil Collins. Well, yeah. <laughs> take a look at me I now. I mean, that's 100% what I think of when I think of that film. I but, forget the actual film, and I just remember Phil Collins. But I believe she plays, uh, yeah, she plays uh, Rachel Ward's mom in that. Oh, so she's in her so own So basically, remake. Jeff Bridges is the Robert Mitchum character. So they made Jeff, Jeff? Yeah, and I believe, yes, exactly. Oh, and I think, geez. And I believe James Woods plays the... Kirk Douglas character. Oh, he's just kooky enough to be great at that. Yeah. James Woods is yeah, so a complicated So I do have, actor, against all odds, is good, but now again. Now I want to see it again. But, but it's a remake of Out of the Past, see? All I think of is the song. Well, it's like, it's a great song. It is. Like, yeah, that's a great song. But anyway, I'm going to start talking about the music. Okay, so were you, without obviously giving away the ending, were you surprised by the ending? Yeah, I think the ending is definitely a surprise because... Based on certain social mores and such from the time, again, I'm trying to dance around this and not give things away, there's certain expectations you just wouldn't have of films at this time based right. on that. And the ending kind of works against that that normal expectation, I guess I would say. It, it runs counter to what I thought might have happened based mm-hmm. on how male and female characters usually operate in films of this time and and the endings of of films like this granted this is film noir so i guess anything goes in a film like this they're they're not always predictable endings no. i'd say that but it's not happy Which is good. sad just not predictable right but yeah i think i was surprised at the end but i will say that i liked how it ended it felt it felt right Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like it was what the ending should be to a point, and then it had a twist. Yeah. And I guess the twist is what I'm saying kind of goes against what I would anticipate. Right. It was different than what I would have imagined it to end like. And now that you're in the Bay Area, I'm sure you appreciated the seeing San Francisco in the 1940s. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are some scenes where you look at it and go, gosh, you know, you remember what a pretty... <laughs> city it was some of the views where you can see the bridge you can just kind of see the skylines and the, yeah and, and the just the neighborhoods right mm-hmm. they talk about north beach and right. um you can kind of just see the old marquees from some of the theaters and some of that's still there obviously yeah. but and most of the film takes place in time so. yeah it's and it was it's weird because i'm an east coaster by birth and spent you know obviously mm-hmm. the first 20 something years of my life over there and so to hear about like older films that were, you know, taking place in this area, if area, it feels like a little bit weird mm-hmm. almost because it's like, oh, wait, people went to Tahoe in the 30s. Yeah. I don't even know why I would think that. <laughs> I think it's just because I'm not from here. So right. I think about the places that are around me. I, I grew up really close to New York City. Mm. So obviously so much took place. Right. Like around the city, right? So it's just weird when they're talking about Reno and Tahoe, and you're yeah. like, "Oh, this is this is local." Yeah. I, I don't. I have no just idea why I found people. that strange. I did think that the just sort of the backdrop of this film, like kind of how it looked and felt and where it took place, was really nice. Yeah. I don't know if they actually filmed it in California. I mean, it looks like it definitely could have been. Well, if they. But the scenery was beautiful when they were doing all the outdoorsy stuff, and I guess it wouldn't surprise me if they did film it. 
Yeah, some of them look in legit. California. Yeah, a lot of them look legit. I mean, a lot of I don't these... know about the Acapulco part if they were no, actually in I, Mexico. I, no, I think a lot of the a lot of stuff was filmed on sets back then because it was just that was budgets, probably a set. Some yeah. of this look legit. So, uh, final thoughts. This is a very interesting film. I really liked it. I feel like, unfortunately, confused me a little bit. But watch it again. I'd like to watch it again, and I would definitely tell people that this one is worth watching. A lot of this older film is really quite impressive. I wish I didn't feel like I got confused by it. It seriously makes me feel stupid sometimes. No, no. But I really enjoy the films, Mm -hmm. and I look forward to seeing this. And I think both Robert Mitchum and and Jane Greer and Kirk Douglas were all really great in this film. Everyone was really great in the film. I I would highly recommend it. Like you said, though, don't multitask during this thing. No. I wasn't either, just for the record. But... You know, make make sure you're just kind of really present for it and not like doing 20 things. And I think they'll appreciate the dialogue. It's really witty dialogue. It is. I mean, it's yeah. it's a smart, dark, kind of complicated film. Yeah. But it was really good. Again, had they, I, I well, apparently they did remake it and yeah. called it Against All Odds in 1984. But if they were to remake this again in 2024, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> again, I, there's things they would do to it that might, probably wouldn't make it as strong the subtleties make it good mm-hmm. and it'd be a three-hour movie yeah oh yeah it would probably be so 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 much longer. so avoid that and actually check out against all odds i like that one but uh see the original first yeah yeah along with phil collins along with phil collins well thank you again Lindsay. yeah thanks for having me i enjoy doing these take a look at you now If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday, and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Captain Video. Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.